Hey, I'm Steph. I'm Alex. And this is Not Today. I'm determined today to get the, this in the fucking episode. The Cardi B I, I sound. I need Cardi B's noise. Well, welcome, Cardi. Okay. What was your thought? No, stop. <laughs> That's enough of that. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. How are we you have, doing? I'm great. Uh, I'm excited for the story. I got a few general details. That's true. It's a it's a crazy one. It's a bit wild. Is this one crazy? It. I Is mean, it going to make me say, "Wow"? You Is will. That how I'm going to react? I think you will. I also think it's going to make you angry at really? points. Really? Yeah. Mm. I, I I feel like I know you pretty well, and I, it's probably going to make you angry. Which it. I mean, rightfully so. It makes me angry too. So. Yeah. Well, but, I mean. When bad things are happening to people, good people who don't deserve it, you know, you get a little mad. That's true. That's that, very you know, true. It yeah. happens. That, yeah. I mean, hey, on a slightly brighter note, before we jump into the absolute craziness that is a story, we've had the Patreon out for a whole week, and it's great. Doing pretty well. Yeah, I'm excited. I mean, like, we've we've got people in the Discord chat I was chatting with last night. We were talking about a bunch of different things. We've seen quite a few pets at this point which is pets are amazing very exciting shout out to bacon the bacon cat, the cat. <laughs> that is alex's favorite so far as far but yeah point being we're having fun over there so check it out if you would like to join the fun yep subscribe if you wanna oh yeah oh that's our Ooh. theme song in case you didn't know really yeah wow yep um okay let's let's jump in shall we yeah <laughs> i know i sort of said yeah that's okay You'll have another chance. Okay, I'll have another chance. <laughs> okay. So this story was actually suggested by uh, Juji on Instagram. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correct, but it's J-U-J-E-E on Instagram. That's Juji. Yeah. So thank you very much. Uh, so my sources come from the TV series Evil Lives Here. I believe it's like season 10, episode 10, I want to say. And also an article from Cinemaholic written by Vizwa Vanapali and an article written by Debbie Carson, as well as Tampa Bay Times article written by Colleen Jenkins. Colleen on the beat. I'm just waiting, <laughs> for, waiting for the cars. <laughs> We've got a weird energy going right now. Yeah, I don't know. We started off with Cardi noises. Here we are. Yeah. So I'm going to be talking about the relationship between Sherry Tate and Edward Allen Covington, and also everything that went terribly wrong, because this man is a monster on earth he is a human evil piece of shit so we're gonna talk about him and that the first time they met was by chance in 1993 sherry tate was a bartender at a bar shout out and that night she met edward or eddie alan covington and the two hit it off she said that he was very polite and easy to talk to and they had a very strong connection right off of the bat but at that time sherry was in another relationship so nothing came of their meeting that night for quite a long time. That was until seven years later when Eddie happened to walk back into her bar, and this time she was single. When she saw him, she did a double take because she thought it was fate that was bringing them back together again, and she said that she had butterflies all over her body when she saw him that night. Maybe that was 
a bad sign, <laughs> you know? Well, how could you know? No, of course. But have you ever have you ever heard of someone saying like, oh, yes, I got butterflies when I was talking to this person. And it turns out that it was just my body like trying to repel that person away. Like <laughs> it was just anxiety. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, actually, it was just anxiety. Right. But... My tummy wasn't fluttering in a good way. It was my body's way of this saying, This was my Run. flight or flight response. Yeah, literally. <laughs> Uh, So when Sherry and Eddie made eye contact for the first time that night, they had a big moment and Sherry literally jumped into his arms as if he were like a long lost friend, which I guess he kind of was because they had some strong connection seven years ago, but it it had been seven years and they were like, I don't think they knew each other very well. And she was like, Eddie, and like jumped into his arms. Weird scene. Interesting, right? Was Eddie like, yo. No, he was all for it. Oh, he was into it. Yeah. Yeah, the hug lasted a very long time, apparently, according to Sherry, and they talked all night long, and she said it was like they had just picked right up where they had left off. They were like two puzzle pieces fitting perfectly together. And when thinking back on this moment, she said that she wishes relationships came with warnings, like you get on a bottle of medicine. (laughs) Ain't that the truth? Yeah, seriously. But at the time, she thought that it was a sign from God. Really? Yeah. Although she she did have a few warning signs... After that night, Sherry and Eddie started dating, and soon enough, Sherry decided to move in with Eddie. And oh, no. W- yeah. And After w- how long? A couple months. No. Yeah. One night at the bar, she was in the back staff room getting ready before her shift, and one of her friends and co-workers came back there and told Sherry that she needed to talk to her. And she told Sherry that she didn't get a very good feeling about Eddie, and something seemed very off with him. And she said she could see it in his eyes, which is creepy. Because Sherry later says that she could see the evil in his eyes, but not until, you know, later on. But this this co-worker saw it immediately. And when Sherry asked her what she meant, she told her that something just didn't feel right and she didn't think that it was a good idea for Sherry to move in with him. And she went as far as to say that if Sherry stayed with him, she thought something bad would happen. Oh, no. Yeah, so maybe this girl was like a medium or something. She knew. <laughs> like a psychic, you know? I don't know, but you, some sometimes you just kind of know. Yeah, I mean, you know, she's an empath. (laughs) She can feel these things. She charges crystals. She does. But Cherry didn't listen to her friend's warning, unfortunately. She saw that he came from a good family and had a good job as a corrections officer at a prison. And on top of it all, he made her feel very special. And he felt like a fun person. And she said what her friend saw in his eyes, she mistook as a spark between them. Sherry also thought that it was possible that her friend was jealous of what she had with Eddie. Um, Obviously, now looking back on that conversation, she wishes that she had listened to her friend. But at the time, she was like, she just wants me to be miserable because she's miserable. You know? Damn. Yeah. And not long after that, Eddie began pressuring Sherry into marriage, which is when she started to have the first little bit of second thoughts about the whole thing. Before she and Eddie had met, Sherry had gotten into some trouble with the law and had gotten a felony drug charge. And at that time, she was still waiting for her conviction. And Eddie, like I said earlier, was a correctional officer. So he used that as a manipulation tactic and told her that if they didn't get married, they couldn't see each other anymore. Huh? What do you mean? Because she's a felon? Yeah, I think. Like if she goes to jail? I guess so. Yeah, he was just using that as an excuse to be like, well, you can't, I can't be dating a felon, but they can't do anything about it if we're married. Oh, it's like part of his job. He can't date a felon. 
Probably. I don't actually know if it's like in the rules somewhere. I, I would assume so. But he was like, well, we got to get married before you get convicted because if something bad happens, we can't be dating anymore. Yeah, that's a no go. Yeah. Eddie. But she really didn't want to get married at that point because they had only been dating a couple months and she felt like they were definitely rushing into things. But he just kept pushing for it and told her that if she loved him, she would marry him, which is a huge red flag, because he said there was no other way. So the two went down to the county courthouse to be married. And Sherry said that she tried to be happy about it, but in the back of her head, she had this little voice telling her not to go through with it. And she had a pit in her stomach. She felt the entire time and she felt like she would be sick, like physically sick. She was going to barf the entire time. So that little voice in the back of her head was like screaming bloody murder. It was like, Sherry! Oh my god. Don't go through with it! (laughs) Please, no! I can't imagine going through that entire ceremony feeling like that. Yeah. And is her family there? No. Does nobody else notice that she's losing it? No one was there. It was just her and Eddie and the guy who was marrying them. Oh god, what do you do if you're the... Is it a minister? I have no idea. Whoever's at the courthouse. The ordained guy or gal. Right. Do you notice? Do you pick up on it? Or you're like, if if somebody's like seriously looks like they don't want to do it, you pull them aside and be like, all right. Maybe think about things a little bit. Are you sure about I do? Yeah. I, I have to imagine that that's not how you want to feel on your wedding day if I had to have an educated guess on the whole thing. I would also have to guess that you probably want to be there with people other than that one person. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. That would probably be advised, but I think they were. he was just really pressuring her so much that it was so rushed. Yeah. And he was just like, we got to do this right now. And she was like, uh, okay, yeah, like I guess. Whole, if you love me, you will do X. Right, yeah, not... it's the controls. It's yeah. like the very beginnings of like, I will control every single Oof. part of this. Yeah. So when the person who was marrying them at the courthouse asked if she took Eddie to be her husband, she froze and didn't answer. And oh, no. so he asked her again. And she told him she needed a minute because she was going to be sick. Because every fiber of her being was telling her not to do this. But Eddie was right there and told her that it was just cold feet and everything was going to be okay. And he told her that he was there to stay and he wasn't going anywhere because he loved her with his whole being just like she loved him with her whole being. So he's like really laying it on thick. And part of her thought that it was all in her head and she was overthinking everything. And I'm sure he was saying that too, you know? reinforcing the whole oh it's all in your head like you're just anxious like it everyone goes through this no they don't no they don't so she went through with it even though she almost puked during the whole thing like three times and right after she said i do her life immediately changed for her that marked the beginning of the end unfortunately at first their marriage was fine No, like, big, gigantic red flags, but that was pretty short-lived because one night, the two of them were laying in bed watching a movie, and one of the scenes in the the movie they were watching had a Russian roulette in it, and as the characters passed the gun around, Eddie jokingly, quote-unquote, said that one time he had held a gun up to his sister's head, and she started laughing because that's a pretty unbelievable thing to say, and... She told him that there was absolutely no way that he did that. But he said, no, it really happened. 
He told her that he was a teenager, somewhere around 15 years old, and he had thrown his sister up against the wall, held her by her neck, and held a gun to her head and told her that he would put a bullet in her head. Just family things. Just normal sibling behavior. And Sherry seriously still thought that it was a joke, because nobody's that crazy, right? (laughs) But he told her to ask his sister. So she dropped it that night until she was with Eddie and his sister, and he asked her if she remembered the time he held a gun to her head. And she said yes, and she was definitely not laughing about it. So that's when Sherry knew that it was serious, and she had this huge sinking feeling, and she felt like, what have I done? Who in the world did I marry? I really can't imagine that feeling, you know? Sitting with the person you are supposed to love and are married to, and they're just out of nowhere, are like, oh yeah, I threw my sister up against a wall, held her neck, and put a gun up to her head. And then told her I would put a bullet in her brain? Like, that's... That's very evil. That's very scary. Like, as a joke. That's so, not like, a what joke. A... Well, to him it is, apparently. Yeah, I guess. But, like, what kind of joke is that? That's no joke. I know. It's like, what else does he think is a joke? Right. And you're next. Or if he doesn't think it's a joke, and that's just his first step to, like, warn you about what he's capable of. You know, he's like phrasing it as a joke, but in reality, you know, it's just like his way of being like, oh yeah, I could do that to you because I I love my sister. She's my sister and I love you, but I did it to her. You know, I feel like that's a fear tactic. Maybe, but I don't know. Maybe he's just like that way. He doesn't even realize it. No, I think he's a very calculated person. So I think this was, I mean, I know more about this story than you do. So I think it was probably intentional now that I'm like thinking back on it. Yes. It's, it's scary. Worse. Yeah, I know. It's super scary. I forgot to mention at the top, actually, I wanted to give like a general trigger warning for domestic abuse because this story, unfortunately, does go in that direction. So just to, wanted to put that out there before we kept going. But so in the beginning of their marriage, he wasn't violent, but that changed one day when something Sherry did set him off out of nowhere. And that was the first time that he punched her in the jaw and then in the eye, giving her a black eye. And she said in those moments, she swears that his eyes turned black. His moods would change so quickly that he would become violent with the drop of a pin. And she pleaded for him to stop. And as she sat on the floor, she told him that she was going to call the police because she wasn't going to allow him to do that to her. But when she said that, he just laughed in her face and told her that she could call the cops, but they're not going to believe her. He said they knew him as a corrections officer and his father, who was also a police officer for for a time, so he unfortunately had connections in that way. And not to mention, she had felony drug charges. So who are they going to believe? A police officer or a corrections officer or a felon? She has a black eye. Yeah. So when the police did show up that day, he brought up his father's name. And he asked, do you know my father? So, you know, some so-and-so Covington. And the cop said, oh, yeah, of course we do. And then he flashed his own badge. And that alone, I feel like, would be pretty convincing for a police officer, you know, because it's kind of like a look-the-other-way type deal. It shouldn't be. But he also claimed that he never laid a hand on her. And in fact, she hit him. He said that she had cut the back of his head, but there wasn't a single mark on him. Okay, so you're lying. Right. Meanwhile, Sherry has a freshly forming black eye and a bruise on her jaw, and the police are only listening to Eddie as he tells them that she was swinging on him. But 
they didn't believe her because she was a convicted felon and he was a corrections officer. So they told her to turn around and put her hands behind her back and they put her in handcuffs. And then they arrested her on the spot for domestic violence, saying that she hit a law enforcement officer and they took her to jail. <laughs> Is this real life? Yeah. So I don't here, know. how do you how can you keep your job after that? I don't even know. But like this is where it starts to get infuriating because this is not going to be the only time that that happens. And as she was being led out of the house, the motherfucker chuckled and said, "I told you so." Oh, what a puke. Yeah. He would like smile at her. He had this like shit-eating grin that he would do every single time this would happen. And this happened, like, on multiple occasions. After that, she felt that she had no way out because every single time she would try to leave, he would start a fight and give her a black eye. And a few times he even broke her bones. But then he would call the cops and have her arrested for domestic violence. Are they not following up on this? Are they not seeing that he literally doesn't have a mark on him? And that she has broken bones. Like, what's what's their story for why she keeps getting injured like this? I don't know. He never had a mark on his body. But the fact that he had a badge was the only thing that he needed, apparently. That's disgusting. I know. Don't you want to have your fellow police officers not reflect badly on the department? You would by think. By beating his wife? Right. Like, do you really want that to be one of your people? Yeah, you would think. And Sherry said that she expected that from the cops after a while because, you know, that was Fuck what it. Like, happened. she's got to call the feds or something. Yeah. But, so, she expected it from the cops, but she never expected her own family to not believe her. On one occasion, Eddie had hit Sherry, and she was trying to ice her face to keep the swelling down. And as she sat at the kitchen table, she called her mother to say that she needed to stay with her for a few days. And that's when Eddie came up behind her and told her to give him the phone. And of course, she's terrified of this man, so she hands it over, because if she doesn't, she's gonna get hit. And as soon as she hands over the phone, he turns on his manipulative charm that he's so good at turning on, and is like, hey, sorry, you know how she can be. And he's like, you know, really milking it with his with her mother. And he told her mother that Sherry did it to herself, and she was threatening to call the cops on him to get him into trouble for something that he didn't do because she's been so out of control recently. He told her he'd never do a thing like that, and it's all in her head, and she's lashing out at him, because you know how she is. What was her drug charge? I actually don't know what her drug charge was, but I don't think that really matters at all. No, (laughs) it obviously doesn't, but I'm just trying to think in what world a mother would think that. Right. Does she have a past history of being nuts? I I don't know. Like, was it weed was it heroin i mean these are all like i just don't understand why she would act this way right yeah i'm i'm not sure what her drug charge was on but after eddie said that to her mother he put the phone on speaker so that sherry could hear exactly what her mother was saying and she said well you know how she is eddie she's always causing trouble so not even her mother believed what was happening And even worse than that, she believed that Sherry was the aggressor and the crazy one, because that's what Eddie told her. And he was so good at manipulating people that, like, even her own mother was like, yeah, you know, she can get a little rowdy. Wow. So I can't imagine how alone she felt and how scared. I mean, she did everything correct. 
Yeah. She contacted the police. Mm Mm-hmm. The first she's time. Trying to, yeah. yeah. She's trying to get a hold of her family. To get out. Yeah. To get out. And just no one's helping her. Right. God, I hope a friend steps in. Like somebody. Yeah. Well, we'll get there. But this is where she's at right now, which is unfortunate and very sad. So that absolutely broke her heart because she felt like she was completely trapped. And she had nobody to turn to. And Eddie was a master manipulator, like I said. The cops, her family, and even her friends at times didn't believe her. And he knew that he could literally get away with anything. And he pushed it to do just about anything he could. Because narcissists always want to see how far they can get, you know? always want more. Yeah, and that's when Eddie started pushing the, the control further. And his sexual desires became incredibly demeaning. He really enjoyed having people watch him have sex, and he also loved making Sherry feel as terrible as possible. And that's when he brought Sherry to a swingers club in Brandon, Florida, where he asked Sherry to have a threesome with another man. And Sherry was scared and did not want to do that at all, but of course, when she told Eddie that she didn't want to do it, he got extremely angry with her and said that if she loved him, she would do it. He also told her that she'd rather be selfish than make him happy, and also made it extremely clear that if she didn't do it, he wouldn't even wait until they got home to pull off somewhere dark and beat her in the car. He just loved seeing her suffer and wanted to see just how far he could push her. So to kind of deflect from this situation, Sherry said, okay, well, at least let me get another drink. And so she walked up to the bar and took a tequila shot, fully knowing that she doesn't do well with tequila and that it would make her sick. So when Eddie walked up to the bar behind her, she told him that she was going to vomit and she ran to the bathroom, which fortunately got her out of that situation that she really didn't want to have. So they did end up leaving before anything, you know, happened that she was not comfortable with. And he did end up hitting her that night, although she said she would rather have dealt with that than to give herself to somebody that she wasn't comfortable with. So it's just an impossible situation that she's in. That was really smart by her, but I mean, what? It's just utterly disgusting. Yeah, she's living in hell. She said it was like being married to the Antichrist. She said it's one thing for a person to act evil, but it's a whole other thing for a person to actually be born evil. And she believed with her whole being that Eddie was born evil. One night after these beatings, he had passed out in their bed and Sherry had taken out a knife that was about six inches long. And she stood in the doorway of their bedroom for somewhere around an hour and 45 minutes, contemplating whether or not she should slit his throat while he slept. Because she was tired of getting beaten and nobody believing her. And she said, even to this day, if there was a magic genie that could grant her one wish, she would go back to that moment and take his life. Wow. Yeah, because she didn't go through with it. But to this day, she's like, I if I could go back to any moment in my life, it would be that one and I would kill him. Jesus. That's how bad it was. I mean, I can't, who can blame her? No, definitely not. But I think that obviously and, speaks volumes to like what she was going through. Yeah, an hour and 45 minutes. Think about how long that is. To just sit there in silence like with a, a knife. A minute is long to be standing in the doorway with a knife contemplating taking someone's life. But like an hour and 45 Because she knew it wasn't going to stop. And she was right, unfortunately. It didn't stop anytime soon after that. And she threatened to leave him a couple of times, and he told her that if she did, he would kill her. He said he would find wherever she was, break into that place, and then kill her. And he was dead serious about it. 
And one night something had set him off that Sherry did, who knows what that was, and he gave her a black eye and again called the cops as he usually did. He called the cops. But this time Sherry left before the cops could get there. She just ran out the door. And Sherry called her friend and asked if she could come over for a little while. But after not long at all, when Sherry was standing by a window, she looked out and saw that Eddie had already found where she was and was parked out front, like waiting for her. He had pulled up right in front of this friend's house and stared at her through the window, not even trying to be secretive about, you know, where he was or what he was doing. And then he proceeded to blow up her phone nonstop and told her that she needed to come outside and get into the car. And at that point, Sherry is petrified because she thought that he would come into her friend's house and possibly hurt both of them because it was only the two of them there and they were both, you know, young women. And he's a psychopath. And she really didn't want that to happen to her friend, so she decided to go out the back door and hop the fence. And the entire time she was trying to get away, she kept looking over her shoulder and thinking to herself, oh my god, he's going to hear me, he's going to see me, he's right behind me, like he knows where I am. But he didn't, fortunately. And he literally sat in front of this friend's house for two whole days before... days? Days. Two whole days before he realized that Sherry wasn't there. (laughs) How unhinged do you have to be to sit in your car outside of a person's house waiting for your girlfriend to get in the car, who's clearly petrified of you? Each week, I speak to inspirational people. Each one of them has been on their own remarkable journey. They've all chosen to share their stories with one aim, that if people can relate and get comfort from it, if it can help someone. As one of my guests said, there's so much going on in the world. We should be focusing on helping one another and making each other better. Each one is a superhero not because they have special powers it's because in spite of what they've gone through they keep on going i find them remarkable please listen to chatholic and hear their stories God, i didn't know he was this psychotic i mean we were just talking about an hour and 45 this is two whole days well i mean think about what had to happen to lead up to the point for her to stand in the doorway for an hour and 45 minutes clearly this man I mean, is unhinged very true yeah i can't imagine what would drive somebody to do that well yeah because you're not a psycho thank you <laughs> yeah no problem thanks but, for that right yeah but uh <laughs> yeah two two days also, not hours not also, all night two days also he's just kind of stupid yeah like, like, what? You Did he go nothing? to the bathroom? Like, I don't know. He must have, like, gotten out of his car and peed or something, because you can't go two days without food? peeing. Water? Maybe he had water bottles in the car? I don't know, but he sat there for two days. Oh, boy. Yeah. He didn't move from that parking spot, and then once he figured out that Sherry wasn't there, he was obviously furious with Sherry. I mean, not warranted, but, like, that's... He's crazy, and we know that everything that Sherry does is going to be making him angry, so... But it's also like, what? why are you so angry that you didn't leave for two days? Because she didn't have you, like, chained to the car. Like, you could have left. You're just a lunatic. Like, yeah. nobody's like, keeping you, you there. It you that long to figure it out. Yeah, there's nobody keeping you there, brother. Like, it's all you. But he was mad because he didn't know how... He didn't know how she got out of the house without him realizing. He thought that he must have fallen asleep at some point, and she saw that, and then took advantage of that instead of just getting in the car with him. 
And Great theory. He, right. And then he said that he was there because he was just trying to protect her and make sure she got home okay. Okay. Um, that doesn't check out. Reality does not apply. No, reality <laughs> does not exist in this situation. So now she knew that he would literally never let her leave because he's insane. He just showed Clearly. that. Like, Clearly. Right. But as more time passed, the beatings only got worse, and it got to the point where she knew Wait, that... Wait, so what happened after this? Did she just go back home? She, Yeah, I, I guess. I she was on the run. She just went back to their house, I guess. Or, I mean, she lives there, so she went back. But as more time passed, the beatings only got worse, and then it got to the point where she knew that the next time that he came at her, he wasn't going to stop, and he could possibly take her life. So she finally said that she was done, and she was tired of the of the abuse, and she packed her things to leave, and she was able to because she had a couple of friends come over and help her get her things out of the house. So because her friends were there to like act as some sort of buffer, she was able to get out. Do you mean act as eyewitnesses? Yeah, literally, because he wasn't going to beat her in front of them. So she knew that, and she called her friends to like help her get out. Smart. Yeah. Which was probably the only reason that she was able to get out the door because he wasn't going to do anything in front of them. So, yeah, and like there's no way she could pack without her friends there. Right. But it still wasn't easy, obviously. The only thing she said she had left after that day was her cats because she wasn't able to get them at that time. And she said that she would be back for them soon. So that was the only thing of hers still left at his house after that moment. And all he said was fine as he sat at the kitchen table drinking a beer, clearly very angry. And as she left with her friends, Sherry said that she knew that something bad was going to happen that night. And she just had a really terrible feeling. But her friends just told her, you're crazy. Nothing's going to happen. Like, it's fine. It was not fine. Spoiler. So that night she went to work and she was only there for about two hours before she got a call from the Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office on her cell phone, which we're in Florida. I didn't say that at the top, but this is, he's a Florida man. Of course. Of course he's a Florida man. So the Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office calls her cell phone while she's at work. And the cop told her that they had to break into her home. And now Eddie was in the ICU at a nearby hospital. So of course she asked what happened and that's when they told her that Eddie had OD'd. But that didn't sound like Eddie at all. So she knew that something wasn't right still. And they told her that when they found him, he was screaming and flailing in the middle of the floor, screaming about how he had attempted suicide by taking pills and drinking a bottle of alcohol. And after that, the cops asked Sherry how many cats she had. And that's when it clicked for Sherry what had happened. And she asked the officer how many of her cats were dead. And the officer told her that they didn't even know because there were parts everywhere. And there was no way to count them. No. Yeah, he had dismembered her cats. I mean, what do you say to that? Yeah. I have nothing to say. No, I mean, he's a and, monster. Yeah, and then... Wait, so, like, what's their... So they have this story, like, he is hysterical after attempting suicide, but also dismembered... Multiple cats. Multiple cats. So badly that you can't tell how many there were. Yep. Those two things just don't match up, right? 
No. So that was the moment where she knew that he was an absolute lunatic. Like she knew that he was a monster and she knew that he was capable of really terrible, violent things because she had experienced them firsthand. But now she knows that he is an absolute crazy person. And she knew that the only way that he could get away with doing something like that was to fake a suicide attempt and take all the attention away from the animals that he had killed and put the attention back on him. And it worked. She knew that the entire thing that he did wasn't because he was losing his, I mean, he was losing his mind, but you know, it wasn't like he was going through some mental health crisis. He wanted to hurt her by killing her cats and dismembering them. And then he wanted to get away with it by faking something like that. Is there any laws on like killing pets? Yes, that is very much illegal. It is. Yeah, I was like, this is so. Did I'm sure that they didn't charge him for that. There was a cop. There was no police report ever even made on it. He completely just got away with it because he like made such a big scene. Sherry said that she also knew that this was his way of telling her that this is what he was capable of, and if she didn't fall in line and do what he said, he could do something like that to her. So this was a direct threat. She needs to go into the witness protection program or something. Yeah. She needs to move states. I don't know. Fucking go to Mexico, Canada, Puerto Rico, Europe. Somewhere far away. Pick somewhere nice and just fuck off there. Yeah. Go to Australia. Right. But I mean, at this point, this man has made it clear that he will find her no matter where she goes. And also he's capable of dismembering animals. So. You know, I forgot that. I mean, shit, they're still married. Like you have to divorce him. Right. This was far more complicated than she was prepared for. There's, like, no help for her. No. The cops aren't going to help. Like, what do you even do if, like, if the local police will not help you, what do you do? I don't know. Do you go, I don't know, is it, like, a different body for state troopers? The FBI? I don't know. At some point, she was able to get a, a protection order, like, against him, like, kind of like a... Oh, do you mean a restraining order? A restraining order? order, yeah. She was able to get one on him at some point, um, and we're going to talk about that later on. But at this point, I mean, she's helpless. Like, the uh, police... She's got to go buy a gun. Every time she encounters the police, they arrest her. Yeah. Even though she's the one with the bruises and the scratches and the broken bones, and he's got not a scratch on him, she's the one that's arrested for domestic violence. That is never going to cease to amaze me. No. Because of the hard evidence that is literally looking you right in the face that you're ignoring because of a badge and maybe like some relationship you have with this guy yeah and then now he got away with literally killing multiple cats like three or four i thought you said she had two i didn't say she had two she had i think she had like three or four cats oh wow yeah no it's (laughs) another level when it's just an innocent being that just doesn't know the act of dismembering like not to get completely disgusting but like that is like another level of evil Mm. like it's not just i suffocated it or i snapped its neck it's like i spent time on that and i'm i was able to do that like who is capable of doing things like that it's insane to me but after that sherry moved in with her mother but that definitely didn't stop eddie from terrorizing her So on Sherry's birthday, she woke up and noticed that there was an orchid sitting on the bedside table. And it didn't have a note or anything, so she didn't think much of it. And she assumed that it was just her mother who had left it there for her. And so she went into her mother's room carrying the orchid with her and told her, thank you for the flower, it's beautiful. But her mother told her that she didn't get her an orchid. So why was that there? 
And at first, Sherry was confused because it was right next to her bed. But then it hit her exactly what had happened, and she immediately dropped the orchid and it crashed onto the floor because she knew that it was Eddie. And she had realized that Eddie must have been sneaking into her mother's house at night when she slept. And he was able to literally get into her room and put an orchid next to her. And that was his way of being like, yeah, I have access to you. There's no locks. Like, no lock can keep me out. (laughs) That's terrifying. This was obviously another clear message that he could do whatever he wanted and nothing was going to stop him. He had been given at this point the protection order that I talked about earlier to stay away from her, and her mother even changed the locks on the doors a couple of times, but that didn't matter and he was going to keep doing what he wanted. And that, How was he getting in, though? Like I don't windows? know. They didn't know. They were like, how, how, how is he doing this? Because they changed the locks a yeah, million you guys times. you need to get some cameras or something? Or something. A guard dog? Or maybe not. Don't get any more pets because clearly that's not... I don't know. Come out with a Great Dane. Yeah. Big old dog. Or just a bodyguard. Like, a physical person. Also, too, might be helpful. Right. And not long after the orchid incident, Sherry woke up to hear her mother screaming, Get out. And she immediately shot awake in bed and saw that Eddie was not even an arm's distance away from her, standing right next to her bed. And Sherry's mother was screaming at him to get out. And how did he get into her house? And Eddie said that the reason he was there was because he was worried since he hadn't heard from Sherry in a while and nobody was answering his calls. And he wanted her to know that he loved her and that he's always thinking about her and wondering what she's doing, which is also eerie. And that's when Sherry's mother finally understood how much trouble Sherry was actually in. And Eddie told Sherry that he wasn't giving up on their relationship and then told her that he had a new roommate. It was this woman named Lisa and her two kids, but she was so overbearing and he said, I wish I could just get rid of her and her kids. Before he could say anything else, Sherry's mother told him that she was calling the cops. I was really hoping you were going to say, like, Sherry's mom pulled out a shotgun and, like, blew his head off. Unfortunately, no. But before he left, he gave Sherry that creepy smile that we talked about earlier that was so evil and eerie, he would give her this smile when he knew that he had accomplished terrorizing her. Uh, Isn't that so scary? Like, to think of someone evil smiling at you when they know you are you're at your scaredest, or most scared. Is that the scaredest a word? Who knows? Yeah. I'm, we'll go with most I, I scared. I think your most scared is correct. I'm thinking about how I'm going to respond to that. <laughs> like, I don't know what to say. But just It's just like this extra thing that's just making it so much worse. Mm-hmm. Because he knows how good he is at it, and he, like, is enjoying it. Like, you can see him actively. That image is probably, like, seared in your brain forever. Yeah, right? So he gave her that wicked smile, and then after that, he calmly walked out of the house before the police could even get there. And because he had just left, when the police did get there, there wasn't anything they could do because it was their word against his. There wasn't any proof that he was in the house, so they couldn't, you know, press any charges or arrest him. He didn't touch anything while he was in there? There was no fingerprints? I mean, even if there were fingerprints, like, he's Sherry's husband. So he could say, like, oh, yeah, I had come over one day and touched that knob. Yeah, I there's guess no, There's no, like, timing on the fingerprints. Like, you, you know what I mean? I mean, I guess, but, like, something to put the heat on this dude. But the police didn't want to. They clearly didn't care or believe, you know? Yeah. yeah. 
Another night, Cherry had been dropped off at her mother's house by a friend, and right as she got out of the car and started walking up to the house, Eddie came rushing behind her and yelling about who Sherry was with and asking who that man was. And when Sherry told Eddie that the guy she was with was only a friend, he pulled out his father's service revolver and pointed it at her. Sherry's mother was also outside on the porch at that time, so Eddie was pointing the gun at both of them. And he said to Sherry, I could take you out right here and nobody would do anything about it, and then I'm going to kill your mother. And then this unhinged man takes out his phone and calls the cops. He tells the cops, as he's pointing a gun at Sherry and her mother, that Sherry was hitting him. And then he goes over to the doorway and starts slamming his face into the house to the point where he breaks his own nose and he has blood gushing down his face. So he tells them as he's doing this, please hurry, she won't stop hitting me as he's fucking up his, in, his own face. You have you have a I very blank stare. I just like taking it in. Yeah, I'm imagining that happening. It's just like so eerie and just creepy. Mm-hmm. Like that he's this like mentally gone. Yeah, like he's literally could do anything. Yeah, and he has a girlfriend. He this Lisa roommate, this roommate that he he was talking about earlier, is his girlfriend. The poor woman. Yeah, and her children. Yeah, and her kids. Yeah, we're going to talk about them later, too. Oh, no. Yeah, so when the cops get there, he become, he comes up to Eddie and starts talking to him because he's all bloody and he looks like the victim. And they ask Eddie if he pulled a gun on Sherry and her mother because, you know, they're screaming, he has a gun, he pulled a gun on us. And of course, he tells them that I don't know what they're talking about. I'm in law enforcement. And he pulls out his badge and tells them, I don't know why she keeps doing this. Because at this point, I'm sure the police are like, we're regulars in this relationship. Like, we keep getting called. How tall is he? And how tall is she? What does that matter? I'm like saying that the beating that he supposedly took, I don't know, is she like 5'2 and he's like 6 foot? Like, I just wouldn't believe it, you know? I don't have their heights, unfortunately. I just wonder if it's implausible that she would be able to physically overpower him like this probably i mean he's a big man and she's like not so but also like i mean where's the where's the thinking domestic violence from a woman to a man does happen it does happen so it's not like it's completely out of the question but also like him getting his face smashed into glass i don't know against his will i don't know like could be pretty improbable if she's like five two and he's six foot sure you know what i, I, mean? I hear what you're saying i i don't if she's know she's just a smaller person well i mean i'm sure she was a smaller person but i don't actually know their heights unfortunately but um that would make it even crazier if she was like very short and he was very tall that would and be just insane. like believing him right <laughs> all he needs is his badge apparently so the cops again arrest sherry and As Sherry was in the back of the cop car, Eddie flipped her off and then mouthed, I told you, at her. Even though Sherry had court orders at this point that said he had to stay away from her, he never followed it, and it clearly didn't matter to the police either. Because he was there, you know? She has court orders saying, you can't be here. And he's there. So there was also that that they ignored. And she had to sit in the back of this cop car for three hours while Sherry's mother had to beg them to release her. And Sherry told the cop that night that the next time Eddie comes over here, he was going to kill her. And the cop told her, don't worry about it. It's all in your head. Where have you been, buddy? Where have you been? Where did you go? Where's your brain? 
It's gone. Yeah. What? Uh, you were when you said it was gonna make me mad. Here we are. Here we are. Here we are. I did tell you. I warned you. I tried to at least. So for months after that, Sherry lived in constant fear that Eddie was watching her or that he would show up to wherever she was. And he would call her 30 to 40 times a day, all through the night. And that went on for an entire year. She went through somewhere around 11 different phone numbers, but nothing she did mattered. He always found her. And I can't even imagine how icky it must have felt every single time she saw like his number pop up on her phone or like a number she didn't recognize or a blocked number. Like you have to just be in constant fear. Like you're literally constantly in a survival mode. Yeah. There's not a moment of peace in that. No. That's insane. And that went on until Mother's Day, May 11th, 2008. It started out as a normal day for Sherry. She went to work, but that's when she started receiving a bunch of calls. But at that point, it was normal for her, so she didn't answer them. And around two hours later, she had five men in suits walk into her bar. And so they were police officers, and they told Sherry that she, they needed to speak with her. And Sherry was fed up at this point. So she told them that if this is about Eddie, I didn't do whatever he said I did. He's lying. And she told them that they could contact her after work because right now she's busy. And they said, no, it's important that we talk to you right now. So that's when they informed Sherry that they had found three bodies. It turned out that Eddie had killed his girlfriend, Lisa. Lisa Friedberg, who was 26 at the time, and her two kids, who were seven and two years old. And their family's German Shepherd. He killed all of them? Yes. And... Here, I'm going to give like a little graphic warning. I'm not going to get into full detail because I, I don't want to. Oh my God. But this is dark. It's very dark. At this point, how many opportunities were there to put this man in jail for the rest of his life? How many? Many. Too many, really. More than one. Yeah. More than 10. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. I don't know. How many times do we need? Like, oh, flush the badge. Oh, we're good. Break the law. Yeah. Just beat my wife, but for some reason there's no scratches, but I'm the victim. Yeah. Okay. Dismember her cats, but yep, no, I'm, yep. I'm the victim. I had a beer. How is that? Flash the badge again. And then we're also breaking his restraining order. Yeah. Like, no, we're not going to question that either. And then she tells the police next time something happens, I'm going to be dead. I mean, she didn't know yeah, it wasn't going down. to be her. It's all in your head, really. Right. She didn't know it wasn't going to be her because it very well could have been her, but it turned out that it was unfortunately his girlfriend and yeah, how did they feel after this her two children so uh when the police came inside the trailer one of the children's bodies was barricading the door and when they were able to get inside they found that their mother was found dead in the hallway and her son was stabbed in the top bunk of the kid's bed he had been killed in his sleep and i'm not going to get into full detail because it's an absolute nightmare but he mutilated this family it is so beyond evil I can't even begin to wrap my head around it. Uh, but the police had found Eddie sitting in her daughter's closet in his boxers and nothing else with scratches and blood all over him. And he was mumbling, I finally killed Sherry. That bitch is finally dead. As they pulled him out of the closet. And that's when Sherry remembered Eddie saying that he wanted to get rid of Lisa and her kids. And also he was thinking about her when he was doing it, and that sent the worst kind of chills down her entire body. 
And as the police walked Eddie out of the trailer, he literally stepped on his girlfriend. He didn't step over her. He stepped on her. He is an actual monster. Like, that's... I like. I mean, it's not surprising. No, it's not. Like, at that point, he's obviously capable of the worst kind of evil in this world. But, like, I mean, really? Like, I, I don't know. But before the murder, there were reports from Lisa's 17-year-old babysitter that her two-year-old daughter had been seen with bruises on her face. But Lisa had told the family that her daughter had just fallen and landed on her face. And Lisa had also confided in her babysitter that Eddie was off of his medication and threatening to kill himself. So there were clearly warning signs, but I mean, I'm sure Lisa also was in an impossible situation and terrified. She clearly was. So this man is just unhinged. And (sighs) so Sherry told detectives that Eddie had called her at 9.42 a.m. from a number she didn't recognize and left a message saying, Sherry, I need you to call me. I'm in a lot of trouble. Please call me right back. And as he said this, he was very calm, as if nothing was wrong, and he just sounded empty. And he said, I need you to call me back immediately, I'm in trouble. But not any kind of indication that he was in distress, just calm and empty, I need you to call me back. Sherry told the detective that she tried calling him a couple of times later that day and left him some messages, but he never called her back. And the clips from the interrogation room made me so angry because... I don't know if they were doing good cop, bad cop kind of thing, but one of the detectives was sitting right next to Eddie as he like sat there crying and was almost like comforting him after he literally killed children and a, and their mother. He was like rubbing his back and like it was weird. It was very really? weird. Yeah. I mean, it might have just been like a tactic to get him to like fully confess. I mean, he obviously did it, but like maybe get all the information out of him as he possibly as they possibly could. But, like, it was it was weird. Yeah, I mean, either way, I, yeah, I'm sure, I have to imagine that this wasn't some way to, like, help him out. But I can't imagine doing that just to get a confession when you fully know what this person's done. Right. Oof. And also, I feel like his crying, Eddie's crying and, like, being like, I don't know what happened. I spiraled out of control. Like, that may have just been another manipulation tactic to make them feel bad for him, or he was just literally delusional and, like, actually out of his mind because while being questioned after murdering a woman and her children, he said that he could never put his hands on a woman and had never hit Sherry. And at first, he blamed a cocktail of pills for giving him amnesia before the murder, but later he admitted to killing all of them. Does he have, like, you said he was on meds. Is there something going on? Yeah, I mean, I I think he was bipolar and he was off of his medication and also like clearly unhinged. Right. But yes, he he did have, I think, a slew of mental health problems. Clearly. Not to say that mentally ill people are dangerous, all of them inherently, but like this man is clearly... This one was. This one was and he clearly was, (laughs) I don't know, he was unhinged and not on his medication. So... Unsurprisingly, he had a long history of abusing alcohol and drugs. He also had to deal with mental health issues starting with at a very young age. And while working for the Department of Corrections, Eddie was abusing cocaine and opiates as well and had been diagnosed with bipolar in the past, like I said. So he was charged with three counts of first-degree murder and three counts of abusing a dead body. Unfortunately, the nightmare didn't end there for Sherry. 
on the 4th of July, she was sitting with her mother on her bed and her mother said how sorry she was for not believing her at the time that Cherry was living with Eddie and how she felt so terrible about that. And Cherry just said that she knew that her mother was sorry before she left the room for that night. And that night, Cherry's mother passed away in her sleep. She thinks that it was the stress and the guilt. Her body just couldn't handle it. And Sherry lives with a lot of regret. She wishes that she had told her mother that she forgave her when she was alive. She feels immense guilt for never reaching out to Eddie's girlfriend and warning her. She feels the full effect of survivor guilt because she doesn't understand why this woman and her children were killed and not her. And like I mentioned earlier, she, was, she also regretted not killing Eddie when she had the chance. I mean, all of these things are completely out of her control and are not yeah. her fault, but, like, it's just this man was pure evil, you know? Yeah, none of it was your fault. It's all him. Yeah. I mean, obviously she's going to have all these things haunting her, but, yeah, that's just things happen and you couldn't have known. No, I mean, even if she warned Lisa... I don't think it would have made a difference. Yeah, there's no... I mean, Unfortunately. It, right, exactly. I mean, for the amount of control that he had over sherry and they weren't even you know really together anymore or living under the same roof clearly lisa was living with eddie so that is a whole other type of control and manipulation and you know all this stuff so i yeah i mean obviously it's not her fault but it's just i guess how it goes when you're feeling that kind of guilt but in court eddie's defense tried to claim that he was troubled and had not taken medication for his bipolar disorder when the murders occurred However, the prosecution claimed that he was under the influence of alcohol and crack cocaine leading up to the triple homicide. And after his trial began in October of 2014, Eddie fired his public defenders and chose to plead guilty. He said, I expect you to sentence me to death. I feel it's warranted. The Friedbergs feel it's warranted. The state feels it's warranted. I have no problem with this. Whoop-de-doo, Eddie. Like, you're not, (laughs) that's not going to make you any better. Like, I don't know. That one kind of made me mad because I'm like, Do you think that you're, like, doing a good thing here by being, like, it's warranted? I mean, at the least, they didn't have to go through with the trial. I mean, he was going to be convicted, I imagine, anyway. That's true. I mean, I guess that's the only positive thing, is that that poor family didn't have to go through that trial. But, oh my god. So, in May of 2015, Edward Allen Covington was convicted on three counts of first-degree murder and abuse of a dead body, in addition to one count of cruelty to an animal, and given three death sentences. Sherry said she doesn't agree with that because death is too easy for him. And at the time, he was only 42 and he still had so much time and he could have lived and suffered in prison. That's what Sherry said she wanted for him. But she also said that when his execution does come, she will attend because she wants him to look her in the eye one last time and see how much stronger she is today than from the last time that he saw her. And she wants to show him that she's not scared of him anymore. And as per prison records, Eddie remains on death row at Union Correctional Institution in Rayford, Florida. So that's unfortunately that on that. I don't have a ton of information on Sherry afterward because there wasn't any like articles of like, where is she today kind of thing. But yeah, you know, she's... I think this woman deserves her privacy. Yeah, yeah. She, I mean, said in her, you know, interview, she was like, you know, I am doing my best to, like, live a full and happy life, but she is, like, you know, still struggling with guilt and all that stuff, but she's trying to heal. Severe survivor's guilt. Yeah, trying to heal is kind of where she's at, I believe. I really hope Sherry has 
enough money and like health insurance to get counseling yeah at the very least at the very least yeah that one unfortunately didn't have a very happy ending no it did not but uh sometimes they're not gonna have a happy ending yeah some of them are fucked up yeah and before we wrap things up i just wanted to say if you or someone you know needs help with domestic abuse you can call the number 800-799-7233 that's 800-799-7233 or text start to 88788 and i'm going to leave these resources in the episode's description as well but that being said let's try to transition out of this bubble of tragedy and get to our good thing i guess what else (laughs) my good thing is that we have a couple friends coming in next weekend we're gonna go to a comedy show that's gonna be fun yeah having good people around you is a good thing we love that um my good thing is that i am excited for the new the new episode of euphoria to come out because it's the same day as the super bowl quite frankly couldn't give two shits for the actual super bowl this this episode feels like my super bowl yeah, i was gonna say this is your super bowl yeah i'm not gonna give anything away because i'm not a psychopath but it's it's gonna be a a big episode i feel like and if you watch you know yeah this uh this show's nuts yeah and actually when this episode comes out we'll already have seen the the episode so How fun yeah but i didn't <sighs> even watch the first season i jumped into the second season i'm that's true i'm a fanboy now you are a fanboy. You, yeah. From episode one of season two, you were sucked in. Sucked in. Whew. But anyways, do you want to give us our rundown this week? I'm going to try. Try it out. Here we go. If you want to see the pictures for this episode and others, follow us on Instagram at NotToday underscore podcast. If you want to follow us on TikTok, it's NotTodayPodcast. Subscribe to us on Patreon at patreon.com slash NotTodayPodcast. We have a Twitter that is NotTodayPodcast, but the T on the end is a three. Because that makes sense. And if you have any stories that you want to share with us to be on a possible upcoming listeners episode, you could email us at NotTodayPodcast at gmail.com. Hell yeah. And just keep breathing. Yeah. Yeah.